our last time together, so about two weeks ago, what we saw was a transition that was taking place in the writing of Peter. Now, I don't know how Peter prepared uh, to write his letters, or in this case, we believe he transcribed or he's, he's spoken and somebody else wrote this letter for him. But if he's like me and maybe like you, when you're getting ready to write out a long email or you're beginning to write a paper maybe for school, I know for me, I like to put out bullet points so I know where I'm going. Does anybody else do that? I kind of take a scrap piece of paper and I'll write down, you know, four or five uh, items. Okay, I want to make sure that I cover these things. And I don't know if Peter maybe had a scrap of papyrus, you know, that he had kind of torn off from something else. And that's sitting over here and he's like, okay, I want to talk about all of these things. I want to talk about, uh, you know, salvation and security and, and the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And I want to make sure to remind uh, these people who were scattered, who were struggling, who were facing persecution. I want to make sure that, uh, you know, that I covered these grounds. And then down the list a little bit, not quite to the bottom, but down the, little, uh, down the list there, there would have been the word persecution Maybe the phrase, persecution is coming. And I'm sure as Peter was writing this letter and as he was considering and thinking of all of these things that he needed to talk about, I wonder if he maybe took a bit of a deep breath when he got to that word and he thought, you know, I need to talk about this. I need to talk about the fact that for these Christians that have been scattered, that have been persecuted, that there might even be another level. In fact, he knew just by looking at the political scene of the day that more persecution was, in fact, coming. And he recognized that he now needed to address this difficult subject of how to live through suffering and persecution. Now, I mentioned he had already talked about the security of the believer. He had already talked about surrender and transformation. But now there's a weight, there's a heaviness, there's an awareness of what is to come as he begins to speak about the persecution that was going to come to the people there. And, of course, as we see, he always turns to practical application. And I'm just so thankful that the Word of God is all about practical application. I don't know about you. I love it. It's very specific and gives us what we need to do and how we need to follow. Now, for Peter, if you remember, he was not somebody who was unaware of what suffering looked like. We know that in his life already up until this point, he had endured difficulty. He had endured uh, challenges. He had been falsely accused. He had been in prison more than once. Jesus himself had told him, you're going to be crucified just like me. You're going to die in the same manner as me, and your death will bring glory to God. So he knew that it was more than likely going to involve a, a very difficult public death. But he does not write here. I want you to know, he's not writing in the realm of theory. Peter is writing it out of his lived experience. He's saying, I have been through this. I know what it's like. I understand what you are about to go through. And so because of that experience, he is able to speak so clearly. And what he is doing is answering for these scattered believers. And what he's doing is answering for us today, those of us 2,000 years later who still will face difficulty for being a Christian. We still face ridicule and challenge. And more and more as we understand and we see the signs of the times, we understand that persecution will be coming to us. We are able to look at this passage here and understand and answer the question of how should a Christian respond in the face of suffering and persecution? How do we respond when we go through suffering? How do we respond when we quite possibly face persecution? Now, our last time together, I took the message, I kind of split it into two parts. So if you can remember all the way back two weeks ago, I'm going to try to give you a little bit of a review of where we were at. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3, and I read verse 13 and 14 to you. And what he did is he encouraged us with the fact that even though we are facing difficulty, we will be able to go through it with boldness. Does anybody remember that from a couple weeks ago? All right, somebody, some of you are like, absolutely not, I wasn't here. Okay, that's okay. Christian, do you remember? All right, good, all right. That's all I need to make sure he knows. Good. So let's read the verses together. 
And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Then he said this, but and if ye suffer for righteousness sake. So he says, you are going to suffer. Happy are ye and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Now, last sermon, what we covered is the idea that as Christians, we are not to be swayed or to be discouraged by suffering that comes into our life. In fact, especially if it comes because of righteousness sake, he says that we are to be happy, and that word means blessed. That we are to be blessed people, and we are to recognize that we are blessed if we suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And he's trying to get across to us that if your heart and your mind is focused upon Jesus and the pursuit of his righteousness, no matter what you go through in this life, the most wonderful thing is, is that you still have Jesus. You still have your most cherished possession. No matter what challenges you face, you still have him. And if you have Jesus, then you have everything that you need to go through this life. And so knowing that, knowing that you have Christ, knowing that you have not only all of the promises that are contained in this world, or in, in his word, but the fact that you have him, you have all that you need, and then you can move forward with confidence. And that's why Peter says to us here, listen, you can face life with boldness, you can face eternity without fear because of Jesus Christ, because your eternity is in fact secure. Your soul is saved if you have placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is sort of the, the, the beginning. He says, listen, I want you to face life with boldness. And I, I love that fact. I love that encouragement because so often we face life the opposite of boldness, don't we? We face life discouraged. We face life with fear. We face life with insecurity, wondering, how is this all going to work out? But he says, listen, because you have Christ, when you face persecution, you can recognize that it's a blessing to even share in a bit of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And you have him, therefore you have everything that you need. Well, this is the beginning here of our passage, and we're going to build on that instruction now. So what Peter's going to do now is he's going to continue, and we're going to come to verse number 15, and he's going to continue to help us when we answer this question, how do we respond in suffering and persecution? And the way that we do that, we're going to see here is a very clear verse, how we can keep our focus on Christ in order to change other people towards the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation. All right, let's get into it here. Verse number 15. He says this, but sanctify, say that word with me, sanctify, sanctify. Okay, he says sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The second thought in this two-part message on how to face uh, trouble and discouragement and persecution is to set your heart on Christ. So write that down, number two, set your heart on Christ. Look again at that verse. He says here to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now, there is a unique power that is in this verse because it's a clear call for the follower of Jesus Christ to sanctify, which means to set apart the Lord in your hearts. Now, think about that for a moment. He says, I want you to take God and all that he is, and you need to set him apart. You need to sanctify him within your hearts. And what I love about this verse is that right here at this very beginning, this first phrase, he gives us something to focus on for our life. If you ever wonder, what should I be focusing on in the Christian life? It is this right here, setting apart God, sanctifying God, making God your singular focus. Now, this trip that we are on, uh, we had an opportunity, uh, like I mentioned, I was in a church and, and doing some preaching and doing some other things. And the church that we were at was really, really kind to us because they gave each of our boys 50 bucks. Can you believe that? 
I was like, thank you, thank you. No, no, they gave all of our boys a card, and they wanted to be a blessing to them, and so they gave all the boys $50. And it was amazing to me that as they opened those cards and didn't read the note that was inside, uh, which it was a really nice note, uh, but as they read the cards and they took that $50, it was almost as as they touched it, they were telling me what they were going to buy with it. Have you ever noticed that about little kids? I have money. This is what I want, you know? And, uh, and interestingly enough, with the four boys, there was a common theme, Now, except with one exception. One exception was he wanted shoes. Now, I won't tell you who that is, but he, he was thinking, okay, maybe I can get some shoes with this, all right? And then there was another, the other three, it was one word, candy. Now, did anybody, I thought I heard that out there, candy, get candy. They were just like, we got to have candy. And it was funny how that directed the rest of our trip. Every time we were going to get in the car, you know, they're like, Dad, are we going to buy some candy? He's like, no, we're going to church again. Oh, sorry, no. no Dad, are we, can we go? Where's a footlocker, Dad? We got to go, we got to go look at some shoes. But primarily, the overriding theme was candy, candy, candy. There's a 7-Eleven. There's a Walmart. Dad, we got to stop. We got to buy candy. And Jeanette will tell you, it basically become the defining attribute, the defining focus of our trip as a family was all about buying candy and spending those $50. It was pretty amazing how it became the driving factor of their life. And for me, I got so tired of it. Guess what? It became a focus of mine as well. Okay, where can we stop and just get some candy and get this over with, right? We got to spend all $50 in one place. And uh, they didn't, they missed a lot of meals. They just ate candy for their meals. And so it was great. We were on holiday. So I don't feel like such a bad parent for doing that. But you know what it's like when something becomes your singular focus. And for kids, they illustrate it to us so well. For you uh, and me, it's other things that become a singular focus in our mind and in our hearts. But the point that Peter is making is that rather than allowing your mind to just drift all over the place, rather than having distractions and things of this world become your primary focus, rather than focusing on the fears of this world and uh, everything else, the events and everything that is happening here, he says, listen, I want you as believers to be sanctified, set apart, singular in your focus by having the Lord in your heart. The word sanctify here is the Greek word hagazeo, which means to make holy, to purify, or to consecrate. This is where we get the idea of setting it apart. So he's saying, I want you to set apart God, and I want to make sure that there's a place, there's a, in fact, I would say the, your entire heart needs to be filled up with the things of God. And he's emphasizing it here specifically along the acknowledgement that God is in control. God is all things. You would almost look at this as that God is Lord in all areas of my life. We put him above everything else. And we talked about this in our Wednesday night series on uh, principles of diagnosing our spiritual health, about seeing God everywhere and how God is to be involved and connected in every aspect of our life. And this is really what he's saying here. Even, and the great thing about it is that even if you're persecuted, even if you're going through difficulty right now, if Christ is your singular focus, he then overrides everything. The problem is, is that we make our difficulties and our trials the biggest thing in our life, and God is itty-bitty down here when we need to change that up and make God primary and our main focus sanctified and set apart. And I got to tell you, church, this is the pathway to boldness for you in your life. The pathway forward from the anxiety and the struggles and the challenges and the hyper-focus on your own specific difficulties and struggles is to sanctify, set apart God and make him the singular focus of your life. And what is so great about this is not only does it give us boldness as individuals to face life, but as the verse continues, what we see here is that it gives us opportunities. Look there at the verse again. He says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always 
to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, I love this here. He says, listen, if you sanctify God, if he is your singular focus in life, guess what's going to happen? People are going to ask you, what's different about you? Why is it that you respond to life so differently than other people? And when that happens, notice here, we are to be willing to give an answer. Now, the word here that is translated answer is the word apologia, which means a verbal defense, a reasoned statement, or an argument. See, as Christians, we are to be people who are ready to give a reasonable defense for our our faith. I think you could also take it to the point that there should never be a time that passes you by when you do not have an opportunity, when you have an opportunity to stand up and, and share your faith, that you would just let it go on by you. We are to be people who are constantly always willing and ready to share. Now, for that to happen, it means you have to live as if you have hope. I don't know if you noticed that there or not. He says, for people to ask if you have hope, you got to have hope, right? You got, it's got to be evident in your life, and that comes from making Christ singular and sanctified in our heart. There is something that is different about us, church. Christians look at the world differently. Not in a weird way, okay? Not in some sort of nut job way. But we are able to look at the brokenness and the chaos and the struggle and the pain of this world with hope because we know something better is ahead. Something better is within us. See, so many Christians live as if hope is lost. And that's sad. Have you ever been around a Christian that's just like given up? I'm a Christian, but oh man. You know, <laughs> they have no hope at all. For us in our community, with the people that you work with, is that you can face life with hope. You can face the challenges that come your way with hope, and it makes a difference. And people will ask about this. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a funny illustration about this. Um, so, well, it's funny to me. Maybe it won't be funny to you. It's funny to me. When we were traveling, somebody uh, asked us, you know, what are you guys doing and, what, and traveling? And I said, oh, we're, we're going to a... And they said to me, oh, are you going to a conference? <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he says to me, well, because of your wife. And I was like, what are you looking at my wife for, you know? You better step back a little bit. That's my wife you're talking about. He says, because your wife. And, I, and I, I looked at my wife, and I looked at him, and, and I, <laughs> Jeanette's laughing because it was the weirdest conversation ever. And I, you know, and he's like, well, just because of her demeanor. Oh, that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't wearing like a Coffee and Jesus t-shirt, just so you know, all right? That's not, she wasn't wearing that at all. He said, because of her demeanor. And, and I don't know if it was because we had four boys with us and I looked frazzled and she just looked very calm and, and saintly. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But it was so interesting to me that he says that just, just the way that she is, I thought she interesting. Now, I'm bragging on my wife because I think she just exudes the joy of the Lord, right? <laughs> now, that, that's not going to be a common response. I don't know that people are necessarily going to come up to you at the mall and be like, hey, I just, you know. But there is something that does exude confidence from a Christian that has hope. And many of you guys have experienced that in your workplaces. Many of you have experienced that in your family, especially those of you that are new believers. 
when people all of a sudden, you didn't even maybe say anything at all, but all of a sudden people are like, what's different about you? Is it? It's Christ, and it's the hope that is within. And so when that happens, when that change takes place, and when uh, somebody recognizes it, he says that you need then to be willing to give an answer and defend and share your faith. Now, I know you might be thinking, Pastor, I'm a new Christian, and I don't know much about the Bible, but I know that Moses, when he was told to go by God, that he stuttered, and he, he, he said, I have a hard time speaking. I want you to know that it does, this is not deterrent upon Christian. It's not dependent upon how... Um, you know, how much you know about the Bible, though Christ should be willing and prepared to share their faith. Be ready to give an answer. And I love what I, I love this verse here. What I like about it so much, I'm gonna, let's put it back up here and look at it here. What I like about it is that he gives us the answer here. So when somebody says, hey, share your faith, what do we do immediately? Oh, uh, Jesus is good, you know, right? We, we panic. I panic when somebody, you know, when, I'm, when you're talking to somebody and you're like, okay, I have an opportunity and you're like, okay, I need to witness to this person. You need to talk to them and your heart starts to race, you know, and then your mouth gets dry and you're like, oh, and you're thinking about all this. Here's the answer to what you need to do. Listen, he says, just give an answer. Just tell them about the reason of your hope. That's what it breaks down to. So why is it that you have hope? If you're a Christian, you should know that answer. And, and the point is, is that you don't have to go on and, and quote 15 verses to them and, and have this really like nice presentation where like something snaps inside of you. You're like, thank you for asking. I would like to tell you about, you know, and just have this like robotic kind of, this robotic kind of answer. No, just tell them, just say, listen, this is why I look at life differently. This is why I have hope. And, and be genuine about it. Don't panic, don't, and take the pressure off yourself too, because the thing is, is that you're not the one doing the saving, right? It's not you. It's God who's doing the work of salvation in the heart. All that God requires of us is, says, listen, just share the hope that you have. And we should all be able to do that. And I could go to any one of you and say, hey, tell me what you do at your job. And without notes, without, you know, a 20-minute preparation session, you could tell me what you do. You know, if you went to Nisey and say, Nisey, tell me about your job. He could talk for an hour or more telling you all the intricacies about his job. Now, he wouldn't want to do that. He'd want to talk for like a minute about it. But he could, any one of you could do that and explain why your job is important, how it, how it applies and how it fits in, you know, your, your workplace and everything that needs to happen there and, and how things get passed from uh, others to you and passed to somebody else and, and, and why you're important to the company. If you've ever had to go in to ask for a raise, you know why you're important to the company, you know, and you, this is why I'm important here. And we could all talk about that in a moment's notice without any, if I asked any of you parents, tell me about your kids you just boom you just start talking about them right away you could tell me about their personalities and all of this about them but when it comes to our savior sometimes we struggle but the point is is that we should know our god in such a way that we can just talk about him and share the hope that is within us now i realize that there might be some of you this morning that are saying i don't i don't recognize this hope that you're talking about in fact i i feel like i have no hope i just want to tell you this morning that the thing that you are searching for those of you that would say, I, I don't know Christ, I don't have this hope, I would just tell you today that what you're missing and what you need is Jesus. He is the answer. And I would encourage you and ask you to search your own heart and, and ask God, say, God, are you the answer for what I'm seeking? And I believe that he will show that to you. And I encourage you to trust Christ today. 
But as believers, we should be people who are willing to, just like Peter and John in Acts 4 that says, we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. This was a man who had experienced trouble, and yet he said, I still must speak about it. And so we are to be sanctifying the Lord in our hearts. It gives us boldness as we move forward. It helps us to speak then that the sanctification of God, I'm telling you, is what's going to reveal God to other people through you. When you make him central focus, that hope is going to shine through, and and it's not going to be avoidable. And so when you do that, this change takes place, and we then must be willing to speak. It is what separates us from unbelievers, the hope, the strength, and the joy in hardships and persecution. But we must sanctify God in our hearts. But as we continue, he also encourages us that when you're facing persecution, when you're going through difficulty, you need to face life boldly because of Christ. You need to set your heart on Christ. But you also need to cultivate a godly conscience. Now, I want us to really focus in on this last thought here just for a few minutes. Because I think this is really, really important for the Christian life today as we walk in this world that we are in, that we cultivate a godly conscience. Let's look at verse 16 and 17. He says, having a, say that word with me, good. Okay, so having a good conscience. That, whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your, say that word with me, Good, okay, there it is again, your good conversation, of course, we know that means your conduct, your way of life, in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Now, the encouragement here from Peter is that we need to, first of all, in the verse he says there, that we need to have a good conscience. Now, what is our conscience? Our conscience is our internal moral compass, It is the internal judge that enables us to know right from wrong. Now, just me bringing that up, saying, okay, that that thing inside you that helps you to know right from wrong, immediately we recognize that sometimes that moral compass gets off a little bit, right? Because there's been times, and maybe for some of you in your life, you've lived a lot of life where your internal morality told you that doing wrong was okay, (laughs) And that I'm okay in this. this I deserve this. This is, this is totally okay. I was talking with Stephanie before the service, and I hope it's okay if I share this quick testimony. As she's telling me this, I'm like, this goes along with my message, so I'm going to use it. But she was just, we were talking about, it was Stephanie's birthday. She turned 70 this week. How awesome is that, right? Amen. Yeah. That's impressive. <laughs> but Stephanie, as you guys know, has only been saved four years, got saved a few years ago uh, over at Hastings, Right? And she was talking about, she was just telling me, she says, you know, she says, yes, I'm 70, she says, but I feel like I really only have enjoyed life for four years. She says, I feel like I've only lived four years of life. And she said, it's because for those previous, all of those years of my life, I was living for myself. She even said this, and and I appreciate her saying this to me, she said, so many of the things and the way that I lived life, when I became a Christian, I realized how wrong that was. But yet at the time, I thought this is what I should be doing. I thought it was the right thing. But it was totally wrong. See, when Christ comes within us, there is a change that happens. Now, I'll tell you, it is possible for the Christian to quench the spirit and to diminish it with sin. And we're going to talk about that. But for us as believers, he says, I want you to have a good conscience. A good conscience. 
So what does that look like for us? To me, I think one of the best ways to maybe illustrate it is just the idea of, of a window. You guys all know what a window is. And a window lets in light, doesn't it? Now for us, our conscience would be like a window that lets light into our life that is the revealer of sin, that's the revealer of things that are wrong. But the problem is, is as we allow sin and wrong actions to build up in our life, that window gets dirtier and dirtier, making it harder and harder to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. The less light that comes in from the word, I mean, listen, be honest with me, You've come to church before and heard a message from the Bible and it made zero impact in your life. And you left here saying, man, I wish pastor would be a better preacher so I could get something out of the word. (laughs) That's okay, I'll take the blame for that. Oftentimes though, what is it? It's often, it's our heart. And so that internal conscience here, it it gets so blocked that the light doesn't come in and illuminate the areas of our life that help us make those decisions between right and between wrong. That is why we see references in Scripture to things like a seared conscience and an evil conscience. Hebrews talks about an evil conscience. And it's these kind of extremes that would lead us to understand why why a criminal feels guilty for ratting out the other criminals in his gang, but he feels excited and elated when he gets away with the crime. Now, I don't know how many criminals we have in here, but you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> I think you understand. That's, like the, that's an extreme, by the way. That's an extreme. That, that's how we can get to that place where someone feels bad and feels guilty for ratting out the other ones, but then they, are, they feel great if they get away with the crime. And the reason I'm thinking about crime this morning is that I had a dream last night that I stole something. I'm going to tell you what it was. And I woke up like genuinely panicked that I had actually done this. And so, but I checked uh, my location on my phone and stuff. I didn't, I didn't steal anything. So it's an interesting story. <laughs> So crime's on the brain, okay. (laughs) But our conscience here is what we're talking about. And our conscience depends on the light of God's word. And the more that we know God, the more that he illuminates us, the more uh, that we cleanse uh, from unrighteousness and we get right with God, there's more light that comes in our life, the more sensitive then we become to right and wrong. And a good conscience, what it means, here's how you know if you have a good conscience. When you are doing wrong, your conscience accuses you of that sin and says, wait, wait, wait. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be involved in that. You shouldn't be looking at that. You shouldn't be saying that. You shouldn't be talking like that. And that's the evidence of a good conscience. And if you've experienced that, then you know what I'm talking about. And this is what he's saying here, that if you're going through persecution and struggle, the thing is in life, when you go through hard times, um, that's often when we're prone to go back to the flesh, right? Um, I'll share a personal testimony with you guys. We, uh, we had the opportunity to see Jeanette's uh, brother this week, and many of you guys have been praying for him as he's been struggling with drug addiction for, since he was 15, and he's in his 40s now. So 30 years, he's been struggling with drug addiction. He was homeless for a long time, and we're so thankful that he got in um, with a church that had a drug addiction program and is a miracle of God uh, but he's drug-free how long? Just a year. He just had his one-year mark. Man, it was so great to see him. And like the light is back in his eyes. And many of you have come from that kind of background. You know what I'm talking about. And, and he's, doing, he's doing really well. But he's going through some hard times right now with his son. And I don't know about you, Jeanette, but while we were sitting there and he was sharing and he was asking us, 
He was saying, guys, and he says, and he says, and I've never heard him in all the years that I've known him, you know, said, guys, would you pray for my son? Would you pray? And he, and he was sharing with us his te- the testimony of his son. And in my heart, I was thinking, oh, man. I, and I was worried about your brother, and I'm praying for your brother, and I hope that you'll pray with him as well. Because often what happens is when somebody, let's say, gets out of drug addiction, when they have a real difficult circumstance, that's the first thing to go back to, Right? And that's my heart for him, and that's what I've been praying. I hope that you'll pray for that same thing. And I think this is why, though, Peter brings up this this subject of a good conscience, because he knows that in the struggle, in the persecution, in the difficulties of life, we're going to be so prone to go back to sin and to go back to difficult places, places that we said we'll never go back to, right? How many of you ever found yourself in that place? You say, I went to that place again, and I promised myself, and I promised God I would never go back there, and here I am again because of some struggle. And so that's why he says to us, you must have a good conscience because your conscience is going to be illuminating that and it'll help you. It'll say, stop, 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 stop. Don't go back. Don't go back there. It only brings you pain and anguish and suffering. And even though you're going through difficulty, if your conscience is right, it helps keep you on the right path. And so he says, please, he says, have the right conscience. It'll accuse you when you're struggling and it'll give you confidence when you are doing the right thing. Here's the great thing about a good conscience is that it gives you courage because you know you're right with God and men, so you don't need to be afraid. A good conscience also will give you peace in your heart, and when you have peace within, you can face battles without. And so he says, make sure that your conscience is sure. You need that conscience to live confidently for Jesus Christ. But as the verse continues here, he also says you need to have a good conversation or good conduct. Look there at the end, or right there at the end of verse 16. Have a good conscience. If they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation or your conduct. I do not believe you can, you can have a good conscience without good conduct. That means good actions, like how you're living out your life. This is why it's so important for us Christians to still remember that we are called by God to live in holiness and righteousness and decency and being above reproach, having a pure life. This is what God calls us to. And these things are connected because you can't have a pure conscience and impure actions. I, I don't believe that actually works. I don't think those things connect. And so he's saying here, these two things equally, they go together. And, uh, and it allows us to be like in First Timothy where we can be an example of believers in word, conversation, charity, spirit, and faith, and in purity. So when we make our lives uh, If we make a goal of our life to have godly conduct in in our actions, we will be people of the word. We'll be people who are pursuing righteousness, making sure that window is clean as we use that illustration. And when that happens, the unbelieving world will take notice. Look back at the verse here, right there in verse 16. Here's what I want you to notice. He says, you have a good conscience so that when those who are evildoers, notice it says that about them, when evildoers then speak evil about you, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you. Now, this is really interesting. What he's saying here is that those that oppose and persecute believers will be put to shame by your good conscience and your good conduct. Now, that's really interesting. See, there are always going to be people in your life who are going to oppose you just because you're a Christian. Maybe you've met some of them already. Maybe you can name them. I don't know. Just because you're a believer, they're just going to antagonize you. They're just going to try to go after you. And if a person is really living for Christ, there are going to be those who, when the light of Christ illuminates who they truly are, are going to shut it off and try to attack you. And that's just what it is. 
And God, and by the way, God uses Christians to do that for others. You know, some of you might have had friends that when you became a believer stopped hanging out with you. And they said things like, they maybe say things like, well, you don't party, you don't party as hard as you used to. That's what they said about me. I'm joking, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But you, you know what I'm saying. You know, oh, you're just not how you were. You know what it is, is they're recognizing Christ in you. And it makes them uncomfortable. And that's okay because God uses that often to bring others to him. God may use you. I still believe God can use you to bring others to Christ because you have illuminated and you are revealing their need of Jesus. So we should not be surprised when we are ridiculed. We should not be surprised when we're mocked, when we're attacked. And of course, we know in Scripture when we're imprisoned, when we're put to death, as believers even today all around our world are suffering and going through great persecution And of course, we believe that persecution will come this way. The worldly are going to do all that they can to stop the witness of the believer. So don't be surprised by that. But the amazing thing is, is that eventually those that oppose and those that persecute, if your conscience is right before God, you can stand with boldness before them and say, hey, this is who I am. This is is Christ in me, and that's okay. You can have that boldness. And if your conduct lines up, there's nothing they can accuse you of. So even if they bring it up, even if they falsely accuse you, one day it's all going to be made right and God is going to be the righteous judge. Our good and our righteous behavior will vindicate us either in this world or in the world to come. And the person who's attacking you because of your faith, they will one day stand ashamed. I think the idea here is that they may be eternally ashamed for their attacks against you. Man, I had a weird, I had a weird week, as you can tell by all the stories I'm telling about my week. Um, one of the weird things that happened this week, though, is my dad sent me an email. And as you guys know, he's a pastor. He was here, man, a, what, a month ago or so preaching. And he sent me an email, and it had to have been eight or nine pages long of some guy in Alberta just ripping him to shreds, like criticizing him. Now, I, I've received emails like that before. I mean, Florian, I do forgive you still. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> He should have seen his face. He's like, I'm just kidding. I can say that. He's my son-in-law, so I can pick on him. But my dad got this email, and he just sent it to me. He said, hey, just wanted you to see this. Uh, he didn't say LOL, but I think he was thinking of that. Um, and it was eight pages of somebody ripping him for a message that he preached in 2011. So he preached a message in 2011 that this guy didn't like, and for, I guess, 12 years or whatever that is, 11 years, he's been thinking about it and apparently composing this email because it was extensive. And he questioned his salvation. I mean, it was, it was terrible. Like, he was just ripping them. And, and whenever that kind of stuff happens, unfortunately, there are people that get caught up with stuff. And um, you'll be proud to know that our church was included in that email a little bit, or me personally, so that was great. Um, but my dad, my dad is a great, uh, he's such a great guy. He's so calm, you know. And for me, I always just trash those kind of emails right away. By the way, it doesn't happen very often, uh, rarely. But this long thing, and I mean some false accusations, false accusations. And this is how my dad responded to him. And I really appreciated his heart because I was like, I was steaming. I was really mad. I was ready to drive to Alberta and find this guy. And... Uh, and this is what he said. He said, we know that in the last days, those that follow Christ will be attacked for their faith. And I thought that was really good. And he just said that very simply, put in some scripture, and then he just said there at the bottom, see you at the judgment seat. I thought that was great. I thought that was really great. See you at the judgment seat. And, uh, 
And what that just reminded me of was of this passage and how there are evildoers. There are people that are going to come after you. There's people that are going to accuse you, falsely accuse you. But we know that we serve a righteous judge. And one day, all things will be made right. The only thing that we need to focus on is, is our conscious right with God and is our behavior befitting a person who's following the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really what it comes down to here. We can't control all of the struggles. We can't control all of the difficulties of this life, nor should we be surprised in the fact, as Isaiah said, should we be surprised that our world calls evil good and good evil, that they call darkness light and light darkness, or bitter for sweet or sweet for bitter. We shouldn't be surprised. See, our world is all mixed up. Remember, even the religious leaders of Jesus' day said, and they called him a male factor. You remember that? When it was headed towards the cross, they called him a male factor. That means a person who does evil things. They said that about Jesus, a person who does evil things. So our world, we should not be surprised by the mixed up world that we live in. But for those of us that know Jesus, we can still keep our focus singular and on him and on him alone. And that's what I love about our God is he doesn't, he doesn't confuse us with all of these things that we got to do. He just says, listen, keep me first and it will transform the way you approach life. Keep me first and the suffering and the persecution and the challenges that come your way, you will be able to walk through them with boldness, confidence, and a testimony and a witness to others if you just make me first. So today, really what I want to ask all of us is this, do you, have you sanctified the Lord in your heart? And what I mean is I mean two things. First of all, have you made Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? If you haven't, I want to ask you today, would you trust him today? Would you trust him today? After the service, I'd love to meet with you and talk with you. So many people in our church would be happy to open the Bible and show you how you can be saved today. And so I want to ask you that, first of all. Now, for those of you that are Christians, and I know the majority of you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Here's what I encourage you with. Have you sanctified the Lord God in your heart? That's a separate thing that takes place. I'm not talking about your salvation here. What I'm talking about is your focus. Is Jesus your central focus? You say, man, pastor, I'm so distracted. I'm, I'm struggling right now. There's so many trials. I'm going through so much difficulty. He says, yep, and so did the early church. That's who this letter is written to, people who literally lost their homes because of their faith, who had to leave because of attacks, and yet he still said to them, don't fight back, don't get discouraged, make Jesus your central focus. Focus on what you can control, making sure that you're right with God. First John 1, 9, getting things right, confessing our sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That comes from us making things right with God. And so be encouraged. Listen, if you're struggling right now, if someone's persecuting you, if you're going through challenges, maybe it's just the regular difficulties of life, one day, all things will be made right. All you need to do today is keep your eyes on Jesus and make him the central goal and focus of your heart. And I promise you, a couple things will happen. Number one, your problems will be a lot smaller, right? When Christ is magnified, our difficulties are made so much smaller. And secondly, I think that you will have, and I believe this with all my heart, you will have more opportunities to share your faith than you've ever had before simply by living as if your hope is, is real. Taking that hope of salvation that you, have, that you have committed and that you base your life upon and making it a reality in the way that you live out and express your faith and you will have opportunities like you never had before. And I'm just so excited to hear about how God's gonna use many of you in the weeks and months to come to share Christ with your coworkers and share Christ with those that you love, your family members that are without Jesus 
Many of you are here today because somebody shared their faith with you. And that's what we are as a church. We are to be people who bring glory to God through magnifying the hope that is within.